0: Amen. Thanks Daniel. Thanks worship team. morning church. It's good to see you all here today. A lot of exciting news you heard. I'm sure unless you, you came in a little bit later excitement around some staff hires. Uh, we, uh, we are excited uh, for Alex and for Clovis and, and uh, what God will do through them and their families as they partner with us in ministry. Um, you know in the interview process uh, there's a lot of things we're looking for in a candidate. We're looking for character. Does this person know God? Do they have a relationship with God? We're looking um, at compatibility with the culture of our staff. Will this person fit in? Uh, we look at the metrics of humble, hungry, smart, relational, uh, and and so we're looking for, at all these things with a candidate. And one of the hardest things to measure is humility. Like, how do you measure? humility but you know that you more than likely have a humble candidate when they kind of lead with all their cards showing and like let you see the flaws up front and so I just want to just to point out like when your new executive pastor shows up with a Green Bay hat on um, you know you've got a humble you've got a humble candidate so um, yeah so and I did tell Clovis we have at least one other Green Bay fan in our church who I won't point out but is in this service uh, so he's got, he's got a, a comrade. But then I was thinking, you know, having a Green Bay fan in your church is a lot like having an Android user on your, your text thread. You know? So it works, but it just isn't fully functional and it turns everything green. So uh, we are excited, and, and Clovis is here with us this morning. Uh, if you get a chance to, to welcome him, it's going to be more than likely a couple months before everything happens selling house, buying house, moving here. We are excited to have, have um, Clovis, Anita, uh, and then Alex. Uh, and his wife as well. All right, so um, men's conference this weekend. Uh, first of all, men, thank you for showing up. It was really, really sweet time. Like I was thinking about how I would say something about the men's retreat, and if I described it with one word, it would just be sweet. Like it was a sweet connection with one another, a sweet time of worship and connection with God. I feel more connected to God, and I feel more connected to the men in this church um, after yesterday. And so, men, it was great to be with you. Um, ladies, you've got a conference coming up just a couple weeks. I hope you will go ahead and register for that. Um, it's going to be a sweet time. The same person who led us in worship is coming back for ladies, and he's bringing his wife uh, to lead in worship. That's Randy and Jamie Wood. Uh, so it's going to be a, a great time. Make sure you sign up for the, the women's conference coming up in just a few weeks. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come. So uh, this coming week, this is the beginning of Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. Uh, Which is really going to be the topic of where we're going in the scripture Um, is to look at the first palm sunday But this is the beginning of holy week uh, Leading up to good friday and so good friday services here are a really special time for us There are no other services like that in our church. Like it's a really unique time Um, And and if you've if you've been you know what i'm talking about If you haven't been i'm gonna encourage you to come this friday to good friday service. It is a, a time to reflect It's a time to worship And it's really a time to prepare our hearts uh, for Easter uh, because we end the night in silence. You know, Friday night uh, when Jesus dies on the cross was not a time of celebration. It was a time um, of of mourning. It was a time of fear. Um, Many of the disciples were confused. And so there's a silence. What happens next? And in that silence, God can show up and prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection on Easter. And so that's what we do with Good Friday. It's a shorter service. There's not, a, there's not preaching. Um, it's simply the songs we sing, and then we look at the narrative of Jesus going to the cross from the Scriptures and let the Scriptures just speak. And so we'll be reading Scriptures and singing songs together uh, for Good Friday service. I hope you'll come be a part of that. And then on Easter, of course... Uh, You'll join us, you'll invite a friend, family member, neighbor, we've got those invitations in the seat back in front of you, talked about it last week, take that with you, um, but not as a a doodle pad, but as like an intentional thing that you're going to hand to somebody as you invite them to come join us um, for our Easter services, so excited to get this week started with you guys. Uh, We are in Luke 19, if you want to turn there in your Bible. uh, If you don't have a Bible, um, you can grab one under the seat around you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Um, So we are getting started in uh, Luke 19. We'll start in verse 37, but I'm actually going to start in John 12 to set the scene. There's a lot of connections between Luke 19 and John 11 and 12, okay? So we're actually going to start in John 12, and then we'll be in uh, Luke 19, which is what Daniel read. As we think about... um, really what palm sunday represents and we've got to talk for a minute about god's promise to send a messiah okay so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years the jewish nation um, had been expecting and waiting god to fulfill many promises that he would one day send a messiah a messiah king somebody who would who would rise up And lead uh, the nation of Israel out of captivity and into freedom. Set them free and establish um, worship of the one true God for the entire earth. And this was this this expectation that they passed on from generation to generation. Like like grandparents would pass it to their children. Their children would pass it to their children. They would would pass along these prophecies, these descriptions uh, that God had given them of what to look for. And so every Jewish boy and girl would grow up learning these prophecies uh, to prepare their hearts for when they would see the Messiah, they would know it was the Messiah, and they would follow the leadership of the Messiah. But what was expected was different in some ways, um, in the sense that what they were hoping for was really like a, a political leader. Somebody to step in and set them free politically, and so at the time that Jesus shows up, the Jews are under uh, Roman occupation and under Roman rule. So for that generation of boys and girls, they were looking for a Messiah to set the Jewish nation free from the rule of the Romans. So they were looking for this Messiah. Did you, have you seen him yet? What are we looking for? That they might follow his lead in freeing God's people from the Romans. So this is the scene That Jesus is 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 born into. Um, There are varying numbers of prophecies from the Old Testament. There are varying opinions on how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament that Jesus actually fulfills. Um, They're anywhere from you know sixty to three hundred. Either way, it's a lot. I, I personally did a study one time on the kind of explicit prophecies. That Jesus fulfills, and I found 83. Okay, and I'm not saying that's all of them, I'm just saying I found 83. Then I go, yes. Clearly in the Old Testament, here's a messianic prophecy, and clearly Jesus fulfilled it. So I'm just gonna give you 20 of those um, just right off the bat, so we can kind of get our heads wrapped around what they were supposed to be looking for. So the Messiah would be, this is according to the prophecies of the Old Testament, born in Bethlehem, of a virgin through the Jewish lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. He would be rejected by his own people. There would not be anything noteworthy about his appearance. He would be hated without cause. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He would be falsely accused by false witnesses. And he would remain silent. In these accusations, he would be humiliated and tortured. He would have his garments gambled for by soldiers. He would offer himself as a lamb to be sacrificed for the sins and the wounds of his people. He would be crucified with criminals, be buried, and resurrect. His friends would watch from a distance. He would cleanse and reestablish the temple. And he would establish the kingdom of God and a new covenant. He would have compassion on the poor in spirit. He would provide rest for weary souls. He would set captives free. He would bind up the brokenhearted and heal the wounds of the suffering and forgive the sins of many. Just some of the prophecies in the Old Testament of what to be looking for when the Messiah comes. Now that's important because... Palm Sunday represents the public announcement, the public coronation of the Messiah, the King of Kings. He's here. That's him. What's interesting, though, is what happens with this crowd over the course of the next four or five days. So to start with, I, I asked the question this, this Palm Sunday, who were these people in the crowd who were celebrating Jesus on Sunday and then yelling crucify him on Friday? And so John chapter 12 gives us some indication. This is after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's John 11, so John 12, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Drop to verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd, this is the thing I'm looking for, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So if you ever wonder what initiated this crowd greeting the Messiah, word about Lazarus had gotten out. There was a crowd there that saw this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. They said, this is a sign. This must be the Messiah. And word had traveled to Jerusalem so that when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the crowd is gathering to celebrate and to coronate the Messiah, the King of all kings. And so this is where we'll now go to Luke 19, verse 37. As he, Jesus, was drawing near, that's to Jerusalem, already on the way down from down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God and with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, what? Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so this is how Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem. Now, if you look at all the gospel accounts, we get more description of what happens. He actually stops on the Mount of of Olives, and he sends disciples ahead to go find a a donkey to ride into town on. That was a big symbol um, uh, that the Messiah would be coming into town on a donkey. Matter of fact, in Zechariah 9.9, here's a prophecy that I didn't even read earlier. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt on the foal, foal of a donkey and so jesus sends his disciples ahead into town and they find this young donkey that never been written this colt and they bring it back to jesus and this is this is what he's riding as he comes into town kind of bebopping bopping down the hill into jerusalem we're going to see different responses responses from the people responses from the pharisees we can see the excitement of the crowd right they are excited finally our king is here now the response of the pharisees is going to be a little bit different let me just give you a little reason why so the the jews were under roman occupation Okay, so they were under the rule of the Romans, and the Romans had representatives there. They let the Jews kind of go about their normal lives, so to speak, but they had restrictions. Right? They, couldn't, they couldn't elect a king, because a king could lead a re- revolt or a rebellion and rise up. So no kings, and the only person in authority that they could have would be a high priest. But even the high priest had to be endorsed by the Roman government, had to be approved. And they would actually lock up the the high priest's robes and only let them out at certain times to lead in specific moments of worship. And then they would would take the robes back in order to control the Jewish nation. So this is a really vulnerable moment. Right? This is a vulnerable moment out in display for everybody to see. Jesus rides into town on the donkey, right? Right? The Messiah, the King of all kings is here. The crowd begins to erupt with excitement. The Jews are celebrating. Our King is here. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would Out. And what that response tells us is that the Pharisees are looking at this situation through an earthly lens. What does this mean for me? What can we control here? Jesus is looking at this from an eternal lens. He's talking about the worship of creation. He's not just talking about the worship of these people. It's like you're not trying to shut down a a teacher, you're not trying to shut down even a rebellion right? Like what you're asking for is to shut down the worship of creation. If they don't cry out and celebrate the coming of the Messiah, I'm telling you what, creation itself will. The rocks will cry out and celebrate this moment. And so these Pharisees are acting in fear, trying to control the situation, but Jesus isn't coming as a rebel. He's coming as the king of the universe, And now we look at what happens next in verse 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This isn't the only time that Jesus weeps you know he actually weeps in the garden he's praying with just tears that become tears of blood but going back to the gospel of john at the resurrection of lazarus and john lazarus and john 11 i want you to listen to this this description of jesus responding to mary and martha at the at the appearance of of people he loves who who are crying and weeping he responds to them now when mary came to where jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet saying to him lord if you had been here my brother would not have died when jesus saw her weeping and the jews who had come with her that's the crowd of people also weeping he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled it's a description of like this inner emotional tornado going off inside of Jesus. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And, and now in Jerusalem, Jesus is looking over the city and he begins to weep. That inner turmoil that that spinning tornado of, of emotion is going off and he's weeping over Jerusalem. And the words that he says help us get some insight into what's going on. He says, would that you, even you, had known something. And it's interesting the way he words that. You could actually translate it. Surely you know, especially you, like, if anybody knows what I'm about to say, surely you know it. This is consistent with what Paul writes to the, to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 3. <laughs> you guys had the prophecies. You had the oracles. You had the, the narrative. You had all the Old Testament promises. Speaking to the Jews, if anybody should have seen the Messiah, it was you, but you missed him. And so Jesus is saying, like, Surely you know, especially you, should have known. And so this breaks Jesus' heart when he weeps over Jerusalem. And he said, had you known on this day the things that actually make for peace you want me to to rise up a rebellion and and exert my strength and power over the romans thinking that's going to lead to peace if you'd only known what will actually lead to peace because you see peace is not an external thing you can't control it with swords and guns and shields and tanks and bombs and planes and military action peace is something inside if you had only known how to actually find peace. Now what he says is this, but now it's hidden from you. And you guys think this oppression is bad? Roman occupation is bad? It's actually gonna get worse. Like his description is like, For days will come upon you when your enemies will actually set up a barricade around you. You don't have that right now. They will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. This is going to get worse. And Jesus isn't speaking this in anger and wrath. He's, He's speaking it out of a broken heart. He's weeping over them for what is about to happen because they are missing it. That's good to know. Some of you think that Jesus gets mad at you when you miss it. I've heard you say that to me. Some of you think that the response of Jesus is going to be anger and condemnation and wrath and you go through something hard and you go, well, what did I do wrong? This must be God's response. He must be mad at me. And Jesus is going, no, here's, here's what I do when you miss it. My heart breaks for you. I weep with you. Jesus loved Lazarus. He wept at his death. Jesus loves the people of Israel and he weeps at their coming suffering. Jesus loves you and he weeps over you. If the Jesus you believe in does not weep over you, you have believed in the wrong Jesus if the Jesus you believe in is so macho and so tough and so together that tears never come out of his eyes, you've believed in the wrong Jesus. Jesus' heart breaks for you, even you. Even me. And what he does next is so telling, and I don't want to miss this. Potentially, Jesus has done what he's about to done already. The Gospel of John records Jesus cleansing the temple early on in the Gospel. And now here we have, at the beginning of Holy Week, Jesus doing the same thing. So potentially, this has been done twice. So what he does next in verse 45 is he enters the temple, and he begins to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. This is an incredibly symbolic moment. This is not a side story to the gospel. This is not just Jesus finding something to do with his time waiting on Friday to get here. He goes into the temple and he sees people in the temple who don't have a heart for worship. They have a heart for getting rich, they have a heart for selfish gain, they have a heart for what they can get out of the people, and they're manipulating the poor, they're oppressing the oppressed. And they're doing this in the temple, of all places. Like, at least take that to the flea market. Like, you're doing it in God's house, using God's name for selfish gain. And so now we see anger from Jesus as he drives them out of the temple. What's interesting about this moment, we're going to connect it to john chapter 2 and we're also going to think about um when jesus is before pilate like this is what he's accused of of saying he would do he would tear down the. this man said he was tear down the temple where did that come from so in john 2 the gospel of john where we have another record of this kind of thing seemingly early on in the ministry verse 18 says the jews said to him what sign do you show to us for doing these things and jesus answered them destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up so he actually did say something like that tear this one down and i'll build you a new one and a better one in three days the jews then said it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it in three days look at verse 21 but he was speaking about the temple of his body. So we know what what he's saying about the temple is symbolic of something else. Verse 22 says, when therefore he was raised from the dead at the resurrection, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So early on in his ministry, he confronts people in the temple and drives people out and and the Jews are like, whoa, 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 whoa. What sign do you, can you show us to let us know you've got authority to do something like this? And Jesus is like, I've got a sign coming. Tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, what? It took 46 years to build this temple. And you, you would have us believe you can build another one in three days? It's not until his resurrection that the disciples get it. They look back and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. His body. And so then, at his trial, he's accused of, you, you threatened to tear down the temple. And so now here Jesus is, at the beginning of Holy Week, he's cleansing the temple. And what we'll see is that through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus was actually changing the location of where God does relationship with man. This is such an important moment in the Holy Week. Think about it. Where did God do relationship with man before the fall? He showed up in the garden. And he did relationship with Adam and Eve face to face. Matter of fact, right after the fall, as soon as sin enters the story, Adam and Eve now hide from God. And all throughout the Old Testament, nobody can see God face to face and live. So God has to do relationship through a mediator. His presence is housed in the temple. And not just the temple, but a special place in the temple. In the Holy of Holies, behind a thick curtain, is where God's presence was housed. And so God's people had to do relationship through a priest. God's people had to do relationship from outside, from a distance. And so when Jesus talks about tearing down the temple, he's talking about the end of God doing relationship with his people through the temple. And he's beginning to speak of a new covenant, a new location that God will now do relationship with his people. And it's no longer in the temple. We don't call this building the temple. When you leave today and we turn off the lights and locks the door, God doesn't stay behind and wait for you to get back next week. He doesn't dwell in this building. So now where does he dwell? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. You see, he tore down the temple. He tore down the symbol of the way that God used to do relationship before the resurrection. You needed a mediator. You needed a priest to go in for you. You needed an animal to be sacrificed. You needed a curtain and and walls to shield you from the holy presence of God so you wouldn't be struck down but through the resurrection God is changing the location of where he does relationship with us and his spirit now dwells in those who believe church you are the temple when you leave this place in a sense God leaves this place with you No longer do we have to journey to the temple and offer sacrifices in order to be close to God. Jesus is restoring an Eden-like relationship in us, cleansing our hearts and inviting the Holy Spirit to now dwell in us. If we go back to the main text, Luke chapter 19, Jesus says this, my house shall be a house of prayer. He could have said a lot of things, about what they were doing with the temple, the way they were abusing people and forsaking the presence of God. He could talk about a lot of things, but the center of what the temple was for was to be a place where you meet with God, a house of prayer, a place to meet in the presence of God. And you've turned the house of prayer into a den of robbers. So guess what? I'm not just gonna cleanse the temple. I'm gonna tear this thing down and I'm gonna change the location where you will do your relationship with God. The house of prayer will now be in you. Like when you stop to pray anytime during your day, it's as if the priest is going behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies to access the presence of God. In that sense, you're a priest. Like, Hebrews says that we enter into the throne room of God, this throne room of grace with what? Confidence now. What happens to the curtain at the death of Jesus? It's torn. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is changing the location of where God does relationship with us. He now does relationship with you in your hearts. Jesus was saying that he would tear down the place where God does relationship through his death. So no longer would we need a priest to go into the temple and offer sacrifices. Uh, No longer would God's people wait outside, drawing near to God, but never getting to be with God. No longer would um, God's presence be shielded from his people by this thick curtain. God was going to build a different temple in three days. When Jesus died, he was the last sacrifice, think about this, of the old temple and the old covenant and when he rose on the third day he opens up this new covenant this new relationship this new temple where god would make his dwelling place with man again with you it's hard for us to to imagine a world where the only nearness to god that you could ever have would be at a distance through like a a man, through a priest. Like how lonely would that be? To, To know about God and never get to be with God. And so when we think about Palm Sunday, it wasn't just a symbolic gesture. The people of God were coronating Jesus as king and not just a an earthly king but the king of all kings a king to whom if the people didn't cry out the very rocks would cry out and he was coming to set his people free not from Roman oppression but free from the bondage of sin and shame he was coming to heal the sick and the blind and the lame and, but not just our physical weaknesses and illness to heal what's inside of us to touch the wounds of the heart, the brokenness on the inside. And this is what Palm Sunday represents. It's my hope for us today that we wouldn't be among those who miss it, but we would be among the crowd celebrating, declaring Jesus is our King and the dwelling place of God is now with man and while we have not fully seen his face yet we have his presence dwelling inside of us and we long for what revelation 21 and 22 promise that eden will be restored and we'll actually get to see his face again the way adam and eve saw his face The beautiful promise of the end of Revelation is that God will make his dwelling place with man again. And for now, you have his spirit inside of you. You are the temple. I want to end with some questions for us to reflect on. I want you to think about the misunderstanding of the people, the misunderstanding of the Pharisees and This same crowd that's coronating Jesus on Sunday will be crucifying him on Friday. I want you to think about situations in your life where maybe you've missed it. You've missed Jesus. You look back and go, I can see where he was working. I can now see where he was beckoning me or inviting me or calling me. You know, what these people wanted was different from what God wanted. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where your desires were different from God's desires? These people wanted a a rebellion. They wanted military action. It's not what Jesus came to do. Have you ever found yourself like your desires are different from his desires? Think about the response of the Pharisees. Trying to shut him down and shut him out. Have you ever attempted to shut Jesus out or shut him down when he was trying to work in your life? Maybe you're doing that right now you know it like you were like white knuckle in it you know jesus is calling you to himself and you're still stiff arming have you ever attempted to shut down what jesus was trying to do in your life i want to ask you this do you actually believe that jesus weeps for you You may be sitting there going, what would he weep about for me? I'm fine. Good. No, we're not. No, we are not. We. We still live in a fallen, broken world. Christians get cancer. Christians lose their jobs. Christians die in tornadoes in school shootings. We are not okay. Do you believe Jesus weeps over you? Is that your Jesus? His heart breaks. ask you a couple more questions. Has Jesus ever given you any warning signs in your life as an expression of his love? That's what he's saying to them. Like, I just wish you could see it. Oh, if you could see the turmoil that's coming. You would change direction here. You would change course. Have you had those moments? You might be in one right now where Jesus, out of his love, not his anger, out of his love, he's warning you. He's trying to get your attention. Have you had those moments or could you possibly be in one of those moments right now he is giving you a warning as an expression of his love and then lastly i want you to think about jesus going into the temple his anger over what the people had done in the temple how does jesus's anger in the temple reveal his love for you see jesus's anger is it's akin to the idea of passion we often call this the passion week he's there to do business but his his anger is not moving towards resentment. His anger is mourning, moving towards passion and justice for you and for us. So how do you, when you see Jesus in the temper, in the temple, and he's turning over tables, he's driving them out, how do you connect that to his love for you? What does he want for you in that? So how does Jesus' anger in the temple reveal his love for you? I want to end here today as our hearts get ready to work through the Holy Week and to come back together for Good Friday. It was just one service, the whole church together. We already talked about that and that will set us up then to celebrate Easter and the resurrection. As we wrap up today, if you're here today and like something stirring inside of you and like you've never had a relationship with, with, with God, you're like, I didn't know God did relationships. I thought god just kind of did things from a distance and he had kind of this remote control and he kind of handles things from a distance i know god actually still shows up that might be you here today it's the first time you're hearing that god wants to do relationship with you and your refusal to do so breaks his heart he weeps over his desire to have a relationship with you so you, if that's you you might be asking well how do i get that Simple answer is to believe in Jesus. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of all kings. Believe that He died and resurrected from the grave for your sins and to heal your wounds and to give you an eternal relationship with Him. And by believing, you will be saved. It's the promise of the gospel. If you want to talk with somebody about that as we wrap up today, even while we're singing, we'll have prayer partners who come down to the front on the sides. They're they're here to pray with you. Um, after the service dismisses, um, our elders, pastors will be around. Out in the foyer, our elders will be wearing like a lanyard just so you kind of know which, which guys are the elders. If you want to come talk with us, ask questions, we'll have to pray over you as well. So I'm going to lead us in time of prayer, invite our worship team back out, and then give you space to respond in whatever way you need to. Let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for this Palm Sunday. We thank you for what it represents historically. We, we acknowledge that this is the day of the public announcement that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the King of all kings. We also recognize the significance of this Palm Sunday, 2023. A day where you are still showing up to do relationship with your people. That what Jesus did in three days still applies to us. That you want to have a relationship with every person in this room every person who is listening online and so father i'm praying your spirit would move in this space stir in our hearts draw us to jesus we pray we pray this in his name amen